Hey everyone, welcome back to Freshly Squeezed. My name is Jacob and today we're picking up right where we left off last week. My good friend Mason Lewis is here to continue the discussion on the important pursuit of Christian contentment. Today is actually the end of season two. This episode will be closing us off and we'll be taking a short break to prepare and plan for season three coming up soon. Uh, We haven't set an exact date, but we'll keep you guys posted. Um, We also have some pretty exciting news to share with everyone in the next several weeks. So if you're not already plugged in over on social media, you can find us either by following the link in the show notes or by searching Freshly Squeezed Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Go give us a follow so you can stay up to date with uh, when season three comes out and also some some new stuff that we're pretty excited about. So uh, thank you all so much and I hope you enjoy this episode. I think your point about A.W. Tozer, um, the way that he says what contentment is. Oh, yeah, that, um, that chapter. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Basically, contentment in your physical circumstances um, is like, what is the quote? Let me pull it up so that I'm not going crazy. Contentment with earthly goods is the work of a saint. Contentment with our spiritual state is a mark of inward blindness. Yeah. So you see Paul and Peter and all of these disciples um, who are content in the situations they find themselves in everyday life, but that does not mean they're content with their pursuit of the Lord simultaneously. You know what I mean? Yeah. So his contentment in his, in his physical circumstances, wherever he finds himself, if he's in jail, if he's, you know, in a big house surrounded by a bunch of people preaching to them, his focus is always his lack of content in his pursuit of the Lord and his fulfilled salvation in the death and resurrection of Christ. Right. So to me, like there's a very active component to Paul's contentment. It's very active regardless of where he's at. He's always leaning and striving and doing and praying to the Lord. Like, mm-hmm. show me your vision. Show me what the what direction you have for me. I'm going to continue to praise you wherever I find myself. Yeah. You know, so kind of putting that in, in terms of, let's say, your career, right? Um, I do this. Uh, this. This has happened to me plenty of times where I'm stuck in a task um, that I don't really want to be doing, you know, or I'm, or I'm supposed to be planning an event or, or some training where... I don't, it's not necessarily for me or for my soldiers or whatever, but it's, it's on a broader scale. And I think like, why, why am I doing this? What was the, what's the point of this particular task or this particular training? But I'm going to give it 110% anyway. Yeah. Like it, it may not end up meaning anything. Like it, it may just conclude training complete. Okay. You guys have received training. Move on. Let's go back to the, the other stuff that I wanted to focus on but strangely the Lord kind of has like ulterior motives in something like that. Like, okay, yeah, you're going to plan this. Let's say it's a video game tournament for a bunch of soldiers during the Christmas season, which is a thing that actually happened. Yeah. Mike, that's a very specific example. Exactly. Yeah. So I hosted this video game tournament for like a hundred and was it 144 soldiers. Um, 
and we it was just call a duty tournament not a big thing not a big deal really because they do large tournaments like that call of duty hosts all these large tournaments um i really did not want to be the guy to plan uh you know this gigantic video game tournament like i'm still a platoon leader like i still have soldiers and they still have you're also job in charge of of um well stuff with covid too right what yeah was the so you've also got yeah so i had all of these different responsibilities from uh, running the contact trace team for all of the all of COVID, the COVID positive cases in our in our unit, you know. So if the soldiers like, okay, if we get a positive case, boom, we got to conduct a contact trace on that person, and it takes priority one. Well, if I'm in the middle of planning this video game tournament, and all of a sudden now I've got a co- positive case, I've got to simultaneously like delegate and manage this this trace. It takes me away. I'm like, why why am I doing this this video game tournament? This you know what I mean? Like it's taken away from all this other stuff that's supposedly just as high priority. You know. Regardless, though, I find myself like totally focused. Like, okay, this is what I was given, and if I need resources, I'll ask for resources. But I'm going to give th- this event, or I'm going to give this thing 110. percent I'm going to I'm going to make it the best possible event that I can possibly make it, you know what I mean? That, mm. that I can, that I can give to the soldiers the whole time. I'm, I'm not thinking like, man, I'm, I, this stinks for me. I'm thinking the soldiers deserve the best video game tournament I can give them. Mm-hmm. You know, the same time I'm thinking, Lord, why am I doing this? Like, why am I hosting a video game tournament right now? This, this, I, I'm a platoon leader. Like you put me in this other job to do all these other things with all these other responsibilities, but you're also, but now I'm hosting a video game tournament. And I, I understand like the commander's intent is like, Hey, you guys can't travel. Like there's COVID restrictions. There's travel restrictions. There's all this stuff. You guys can't travel and we want to give back and we want to make sure you have something to do. So I, I, I understand all that, but you can't help find, you can't help yourself in the moment while you're doing the mundane part of the planning or the coordination or sending emails. You can't help, but think like, man, what this, this kind of feels like a waste of time. but then at the end of it as you come out of those events like you really see that there there was a situation developing the lord could see it we could not see it and there was something intended for somebody or even for you to come out of it in the best possible circumstance and so i see how paul defines it and i would almost putting it in my own terms and in my field i would call it or, or relate it similar to what the army calls a tactical pause, right? So you're on mission, you're out in the field behind enemy lines, whatever, doing what you've got to do. You get to a, a phase line or a checkpoint in the mission where in order to continue your mission, in order to progress towards the goal or the objective, a certain set of conditions has to be met and you pull up on this phase line and you pull up on this checkpoint and you now can see this situation developing, right? Let's say there's enemy movement or there's people moving away from the, the target, right? And he's isolating himself. And as they slowly trickle away, you know, you just continue to wait until the most advantageous um, opportunity. And then you continue and then you move out because the conditions are now set in your favor. 
So you pause, you wait for conditions to be set in your favor, and then you move and continue. Mm-hmm. For me, contentment is very much that. That does not mean that when they stop and they are watching a situation develop, that they are not active, that they just sit there passively waiting. They are continuing to sharpen knives. They are continuing to better themselves, their equipment, their, you know, their training, they're running through stuff in their heads. They're, you know, building team cohesion. There's, there's a lot that's still going on. They're bettering themselves because the situation is developing so that once it's the point most advantageous, it's ready for an active participant. So that person is ready to act. Mm-hmm. I think that's very true about spiritual contentment as well as the Lord will put us in this position and he'll call the tactical pause. And we don't know why, because we don't see the situation developing, but he's developing it so that it is most advantageous to an active believer when it is his turn, when he calls, okay, we're going to continue mission. We're going to keep going. We're going to press on. It's time for change. It's time to keep moving. He's, he's doing that for an active believer, not a passive believer who sits and is comfortable and is complacent. Right. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. That's how I see Paul's definition, just kind of in terms of my, you know, career and in, in my arena, my theater of, of you know, what I do. Um, I, I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts? Well, I personally, I, I mean, it was interesting because when I first was just researching contentment, I was thinking like, we need to learn how to be content. And then I, then I read, um, I read, I was looking through old books that I had read in the past that I thought might have some good wisdom on this. And it was this book that quote you mentioned earlier from A.W. Tozer, the root of the righteous is that book. And this, um, this chapter, I saw the word contentment, like, Oh, cool. Contentment. And then the chapter is called our enemy contentment. It's referring contentment as an enemy like what you were saying is like the, that quote is perfectly, um, perfectly sums it up. It says contentment with earthly goods is the mark of a saint. Like that's, that's what Paul's talking about. But contentment with our spiritual state is a mark, is a mark of inward blindness. Like if you, if you're cool with where you're at with God and you're not moving forward with him and you're trying not, and you're not trying to grow, then that's, that's not, that's not from God. That's not good. You're not growing. Um, so it's like, there's two sides of the coin of that. And, and a good example when you're saying that is, is that tactical pause. I think that's such a, such an awesome, uh, visual because all throughout the Bible, amazing stories in the Bible almost always have tactical pauses like Joseph, the example of, of Joseph, like his whole life, so many crazy things happened where he he got thrown in a pit by his family he was sold he was he was just a slave and all of that for years um you know got thrown into prison for being falsely accused of something he that in his mind he he kept i mean i can't imagine the the day to day like trying to focus on god i'm sure he had doubts at times but in 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 um when it counted he focused on what mattered. And when he was ready, when God had him in a position to, to move forward, he was ready because he took every situation and trusted in God with him and said, it's okay. And I'm going to trust God no matter what. Um, 
another example is Jesus. <laughs> is per- perfect example. Jesus. What's yeah. the answer? Jesus. Um, he didn't start his ministry till 30, you know? Like he he was he he didn't I mean he's he was preparing and he obviously I'm sure his ministry was throughout his whole life really in, in a lot of ways, but we just don't have record of it. But his main ministry to start his ministry, like they've used terms like that in the in the Bible, like starting your ministry wasn't until he was 30. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a really good point of view. Those tactical pauses that we sometimes see as an inconvenience or like, surely that's not what God has for me. He told me that I would be a youth pastor. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and, and do a small group for, you know, kids because that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do this or I'm not supposed to work at Hardee's or whatever. That's, you know, I'm supposed to be a youth pastor and whatever it is. Like those are somewhat of examples from my life. But, um, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's when we start to define what contentment looks like for ourselves. And that's when we get in trouble, you know? Yeah. I really like that example of Joseph because you got to think he's headed to go tell the deliver a message from his father to all of his brothers, you know, and on his way, I mean, if you look at kind of the geography of the region and the map and they say, Hey, uh, and as you read through the story, um, by the time he gets to his brothers and is delivering the message and that's when they attack him and throw him in a pit and they tear up his coat of many colors before all of that happened, like the people who he got sold to had to have already left the city of origin where they were coming from on their route to what was it, Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. So they were already, they had already left. So the Lord already knew there was a situation developing and I need to call a tactical pause for Joseph. Yeah. Joseph's just sitting here thinking, I'm just getting beat up by my brothers. Why, are, <laughs> what, what is going on here? Like, why, why have I stopped? Why, why mm-hmm. has everything come to a halt? Yeah. You know, it would be too easy to think for him to think just throughout his life. Let's say when he gets thrown in jail also, it would just be way too easy for him to think, what did I do this time? Like, why, why did we stop? Why aren't we continuing? What's going on? Yeah. Because he doesn't see the situation developing. Whereas the Lord's like, yo, there is a situation developing. Hold tight. Mm-hmm. Stay focused continue to better yourself because I need somebody who's willing to act when the, when I open the door. Yeah. You know, Joseph could have just sat there and, you know, lost himself in complacency, but no, he didn't. Whenever he got sold to them, he went and he was the best. He gave everything that he did 110% regardless of where he found himself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I, you know, and that's, that's kind of where I see tremendous examples of faith and how we're supposed to act like as Christians, like when the Lord puts us in a situation that we find inconvenient or absolutely not the direction we wanted to go and we're stuck in this position or we have that boss who we just do not get along with, um, there is a situation developing. We don't see it. The Lord sees it. We need to be content in our tactical pause, but that does not mean that we stop growing. We stop pursuing the Lord. We take, that does not mean we take our eyes off of him and wallow in the situation that we're currently in. 
Mm-hmm. He's got us here for a reason. And that, and that's how it is. I've, I've got so many personal anecdotes that I could use that would make this podcast go for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> but to just keep it simple, like it, there are so many different people in situations where people can, you know, relate to the fact that, Hey, I'm not where I want to be right now. I'd rather be doing this. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have already gone off to basic training by now, but I'm still at home living with my parents because I've got to wait for some people to transfer my medical paperwork. Yeah. You know? Yeah. True story. One thing I was going to say about what we can do while we're actively waiting which is also a new term that I like of like yeah. how you explain like active or tactical pauses, like you're actively waiting. But one thing we can do is like um, focusing on how we can be and are fulfilled each day. Like, um, yeah. And just like how, how the Lord is providing our daily needs spiritually and physically each day. Um, and I've recently, one way I found contentment is like, I've recently been kind of like steering away from the thought process of like, well, in the next season, I'll have this and then I can, then I can be fulfilled or like, right. Oh, I'll start working out when I can afford a gym membership or, you know, like I'll start eating better whenever fill in the blank, you know, um, or just like, I'll feel better whenever this situation is resolved. But being instead being like, okay, Lord, what is today for? Like, yeah. what are you showing me today? What can I, what can my eyes be open to today? How can I realize that I am fulfilled today? I, um, so I, that's definitely something that I struggle with is um, kind of recognizing the present. Yeah, there's a there's a it's like a spoken word, really, from an artist that goes by the name Propaganda. Yeah, Um, he does stuff with. Yeah. So he's done this little bit called Be Present. And the whole tagline um, to this spoken word, I guess, is your presence is God's present. So you should be that present. You know what I mean? Like as a gift, as, as, a, a, as gift. a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Lord is giving you a chance to like enjoy the moment and, and, you know, minister to those around you in the moment and, and just invest. He's yeah. giving you a chance to invest, take it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because too many times we find ourselves just on the freeway not focused around the people around us and not, I mean, literally, but not really literally, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and, and we've just got blinders on and we're just moving forward. What if we just like took the blinders off, took advantage of the opportunities, the people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis and just, you know, being a little light in their life. You know what I mean? For example, we went to the store yesterday to just get some really simple groceries. Yeah. I thought of that too. We just had this, really delightful conversation with, with the cashier lady. Yeah. She was super nice. We talked about Rotel dip recipes, <laughs> Yeah, but it was such, it, you know, it seems so mundane, but it's like those little tiny, like really nice, fun, you know, everyday conversations that, 
those are the little things that speak into people. Yeah. That there's, that there's good people out there, that there's nice people out there. You know, we don't have to agree on everything. We could have totally different political views or, or feel some type of way about it, different religious views even. But we, we are, we both like Rotel Dip and we have <laughs> different recipes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. like to just be able to be present in those moments, those are so crucial. I think that's exactly what the point is. Yeah. I would love for you to share that story of about uh, joining the army. And- just, yeah, it's like a tactical pause. You didn't see it in the moment, but yeah. it was a pretty cool, there's a lot of cool coincidences. Yeah. But yeah, just kind of briefly share like what, what that was. Cause that was like awesome yeah. to hear. So that long story short, I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, basically for me that that's kind of my journey to joining the army, you know, and that was full of tactical pauses. So like I said, I graduated college, um, in December, 2016. Um, I come back from Kenya and for me, uh, since my job at the time was federal work study, I lost my job, um, because I was no longer a student. I had graduated. I was ineligible. Um, so I now didn't have a job at the same time. My lease ended. Um, and I had broken up with my girlfriend. So I was, I was kind of like, losing everything all at once. And on top of that, I I was forced to do the one thing that I absolutely did not want to do, move back in with my parents, you know, because to me, that was like, that was a, I was a statistic now, Yeah, you know, I had just graduated college, had no job moving back in with my parents. And I went to go to the recruiter as soon as I got back still in Springfield. And he said, I couldn't continue because I was still on doxycycline from my trip to Kenya. And as soon as I got off of that, then I could continue the process. Well, that would be for 30 days because that's, that's how they dose the medication. You're supposed to take it for 30 days after you come back Mm -hmm. you know, back to the States because that's how the medication works, I guess. So I still had like 28 days to take this medicine before I could even continue. So that's like a month of no income and I still have to pay rent and I have very little savings. It just wasn't in the cards. So I had to move back in with my parents and it, it just was the worst (laughs) for me. Like that, this, this is not at all where I want to be. I don't have to move back in with my parents. Like I just graduated college. I'm trying to be, you don't love your parents. Exactly. You love your parents. I love my parents. (laughs) Just some clarity. I love my mom and dad. They are the best ever. And I will take that to my grave, (laughs) the best mom and dad, take that all other mom and dads. But I still like, I'm growing up, like I'm becoming an adult and I don't, you know, I want to be independent and I want to be able to like show, you know, that my parents raised me right. And I've been able to find a job and now I'm sustaining myself. Well, that's not how that really played out. I had to move back in with them and they lived in Virginia at the time. My dad was stationed at the, uh, over there. And so I moved back in with them. I sold everything that wouldn't fit into my Honda CRV at the time. I sold it all furniture, all kinds of stuff. So clothes, some trinkets and whatever I could fit in boxes strapped to the roof, whatever. Like I used every square inch of the interior of my tiny little 1999 Honda CRV. And I drove back across country from Springfield, Missouri to, uh, Virginia. I drove there and I get to the house and I'm just on a daily basis. It's just, I wake up, I get coffee, 
I sit by the, I sit by the fireplace and I call the recruiter. Hey, what can I do? Are you off the medication? Not yet. You can't do anything yet. Hold tight. Okay. That right there, tactical pause, right? The Lord had me in a tactical pause and I couldn't see it. I was like, what is going on here? On top of that, since I moved from Missouri to Virginia, they had to transfer my medical packet to um, the, my physical medical packet from the, the MEP station, the Military Entry Processing Center in Kansas City. They had, to, they had to mail it to the one in Baltimore because that was the nearest one to where we were living at the time. So I had to wait for that to transfer. So finally, February rolls around. I'm off the medication. I show up at the rec- that day. I went to the recruiter's office and was like, hey, I'm off the medication. What do I need to do? And so we start walking through it. We start preparing. And they come to the realization, hey, uh, the MEP center doesn't have your medical packet yet. So we kind of have to wait before we can send you to the MEP center before until they have your physical packet. So I'm like, okay, what tests do I need to take? What paperwork do I need to do? Like constantly. So we wait and we wait. They still don't have my medical packet. They still have my medical packet. I take the ASVAB test. Okay, great. Score really well. Um, I, I go and get preliminary, preliminary screening and stuff, but they can't do like an official evaluation until they have my physical packet. They don't get my physical packet until mid to late April, which is how many, how long? So remember, I got off the medication in February. So February, okay. March, April. So I'm just waiting this whole time, every day, calling the recruiter. What can I do? Like I'm, I, and I refused to get a job at this point while we're in Virginia because I wanted to be 100% dedicated, focused on joining the army and getting out of my parents' house as soon as possible. So I didn't have a job. I'm at home. I'm just. I'm stuck because they don't have my physical packet. Finally, they get it in the mail. And like I'm daily again, calling, Hey, they got your medical packet. Perfect. I will be there the next day. They had a reservation and everything for me at the hotel. Splendid. Okay, great. Went to the map station. Um, and I got the medical evaluation and they start, and they do all the blood work and urine tests and, and all the stuff that they have to do. And then there's like this weird, there's the, the eval where they basically make you take most of your clothes off and you do these weird like duck walks and just to test like <laughs> your joints and, and, right. and physical dexterity, whatever. And so go through all that. And then I'm sitting in there uh, with the guy who's reviewing my medical paperwork, right? And so they, they had questions about the medication that I had been taking doxycycline and how, you know, all the stuff that I took to go to Kenya. And then, then they started asking me about my long-term medical history. I I had surgery when I was an infant um, on my head and that became a significant point of contention because cranial surgery, according to them of any kind was a permanent disqualifier from joining the military. And so I, I was like, that's unacceptable. Like, I'm going to push this until I get like on paper where it says that's a no. And so I was like, are you sure? Are you certain? Like, can, can I see where it says that? And he's and push like questioning him just enough where he starts looking through binders. The guy, he's like, all right, let me find it. Blah, blah, blah. He looks through all the binders in the room. He's like, OK, hold on. Give me just one minute. He gets up and he leaves a room for 20 minutes looking for this information. He comes back. He's like, well, I couldn't find anything. And he just 
qualified, stamp qualified. So I was like, sweet, dodge that bullet. That's awesome. <laughs> so after that, my dad received uh, orders because he's active duty military as well. He had to move from Virginia to Kentucky. So, okay, well, I'm going to go with him, but we had that hassle with the paperwork. I'm going to leave it here in Baltimore. And whenever we hear back from the board, I have to send my, my packet to the board to be either accepted or denied to officer candidate school. Um, and, and through the U um, S army recruiting command. So they all review my packet and they, they convene and they review it. Well, we move in June and that's consequently the same time that the board convenes, right? So they convene and they collect all these packets for everybody. And it takes them about a month to go through all of them and then release their results. So in June, we move. I know my packet is still in Baltimore because that's where I left it. We get to we get to Kentucky. We start getting settled. Again, no job because as soon as I get the green light, I'm out of, out of my parents' house. So July rolls around. Remember, I've now been living with my parents for like five, six months. Hating it. <laughs> Remember, like, because I'm a statistic, like I don't have a job. I'm living at my parents' house, but I've got a plan, you know, and that was my dad's big thing. He's like, hey, there's the, you have a plan, like relax. It's OK. All of this is just one big tactical pause and I'm hating it. I'm like, what is going on? But I'll get to it. But the Lord is stuff's happening, right? the situation is developing. So I get to Kentucky. Finally, I get the phone call. Hey, Mason, um, this is, uh, captain so-and-so just wanted to call and congratulate you. You, we've accepted your packet. You'll be going to officer candidate school. I'm like, awesome. What's next? And so he walks me through the steps. He's like, all right, so we're, we're, we've got your contract. You got to sign. You've got 10 days to do X, Y, Z. Okay. Got it. So I tell my dad and he's already prepared for it. He knows it's coming. He's got uh, temporary duty back in Virginia just to go back briefly. And then um, we'll come back together. So the whole family gets in the car, drives the 10 hours back to Virginia um, so that he can do his thing. And then I can go to the recruiter and make sure everything gets squared away. Because on top of that, he was going to be the one that was going to swear me in. Right. And, And administer the oath and all that stuff. Um, so we arrive late at night the next morning. I was like, Hey dad, you want to come with me? Um, in case they have any questions about you administering the oath. And he was like, sure. So that next morning, as soon as they open, we're one of the first ones in the door. We go walking in. It's like, Hey, it's me again. And everybody's got wide eyes. They're like, so I'm like, okay. Um, the, the NCOIC, the, the, basically the person in charge, at the moment comes over and is like, Hey, um, so good news and bad news. Uh, good news is your contract. Everything is still ready for your signature. Bad news is we lost your medical packet, your physical medical packet. We don't know where it went. We've been looking for it for two days. Um, and at that moment, I was so glad I took my dad with me because he's a Lieutenant Colonel at the time. So he's far and away the senior person in, in the building. Like he outranks everybody else in the building. And so he just starts asking all the right questions. Like who, like I want to name who did it. <laughs> someone's going down for this. So 
he starts making phone calls. They start giving him like points of contact. We've got a, a, a team of colonels and lieutenant colonels across the military district of Washington hunting down my physical medical packet. Where did this thing go? Because we just drove 10 hours from Kentucky to come sign a contract and everything. I started getting exception to policy after exception to policy because they started realizing he's not going to make his 10 day window to sign his contract. And again, tactical pause. I'm thinking what in the world is going on here? We have to drive back to Kentucky, right? While they continue to look for my packet, the whole ride home, I am just stoic, angry. What is happening? Like, finally I got, I got past the board. I got accepted. And then this happens. What's going on? Tactical pause. So we get back to Kentucky. I'm on the phone again every day with that recruiter like, hey, what's the news? He tells me, finally, we found your packet. Somebody, somewhere, for no reason at all, basically illegally, sent your medical packet back to Kansas City. Hmm. Okay. Why? That Like, I have to release that medical packet. It's my medical packet don't know who, don't know why, whatever. So that's where it was. So they said, here's the plan. We're going to overnight it back to Baltimore so that we can review it. And then as soon as we receive it that same day, we're going to overnight it to Louisville, Kentucky, because that was the closest map station to where we were at at the time. So, so that I don't have to drive the 10 hours back to go sign my contract, do all that stuff again. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, that's a plan. So they, they get the medical packet back on a Friday and they're like, okay, we received it today. We just overnighted it. It should be there Monday morning the next week. So I'm like, okay, perfect. I touch base with the recruiter that's there in Kentucky. And he basically says, Hey, um, no problems. We're going to go ahead and set like a tentative, uh, reservation at the hotel and the MEP station and kind of get them brought up to speed and everything that's going on. Okay, too easy. Well, this whole time, the MEP station in Louisville has access to digital copies of my medical paperwork. So there's digital copies, which is great, meaning they can review everything and they can see everything. But you can't officially do anything unless you have the physical copy with you. So that's kind of where everything gets tied up. So they get brought up to speed. They, they're, they're being informed on everything. And so they go through and they start um, reviewing my medical packet digitally. This is the problem though, because they start reviewing my medical packet and I have to get a second evaluation because at this point it's been longer than 90 days since my initial medical evaluation. So they have to do a second evaluation. So if they deny me this time, I could still be completely permanently denied from joining the army. So these are the hurdles that I'm facing. And I'm again, tactical pause. So Monday rolls around, no packet. I'm calling them like, hey, they, they, they haven't received the packet yet. Yes, no, and no, they haven't received it yet. Okay. Tuesday, no packet. I'm talking to my recruiter and he's like, hey, um, this doesn't look good. The senior doctor at the MEP station in Louisville is a neurosurgeon. So he's going to see your cranial surgery and have all the questions and you are fighting an uphill battle against this one, you could, there's a really good chance. He, he just flat out denies you. And so I'm sitting there thinking, Oh gosh, what am I going to do? 
Lord, what, what, what's the deal here? Why, why is this the case? The next day rolls around Wednesday, no packet, still no packet. I was like, are you sure you overnighted this thing? Because it's now Wednesday and they haven't received it. Like I'm trying to get out of my parents' house <laughs> and, and I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. And I get again, second round of he's a neurosurgeon. Like we could maybe intercept it and send it back to Baltimore where we know the medic, the medical personnel are just going to approve you. I was like, no, just, we're just going to let it happen. Like I'm sick and tired of chasing this thing. Every time this thing gets put in the mail, like I'm waiting forever. So no, wait, Thursday afternoon at like an hour before close of business, I get the phone call. Hey, they got your packet. You, we have a reservation for you tonight at the hotel over by the MEP station too easy. And that hotel, like basically they have a program where they provide breakfast and whatever. And it's contracted with the army to like charter bus or whatever them over to the MEP station that morning at like 4 AM too easy. Drove to the hotel myself and said, I'm not going to ride the bus. I'm going to follow it in my car. So I went to the hotel that night and brought my copy of all of my medical paperwork and basically with the intent that I'm going down swinging. Like if they're going to deny me, it's not because I wasn't ready to like plead my case. So I go to the map station the next morning and I'm in line with a bunch of other people who are just enlisting and, and, you know, doing their thing. And at this point, I still have the exception of policy. My dad's still going to swear me in. Like he's waiting for a phone call or no, he's expecting to come at a certain time. And my family's going to be there as well and take pictures and stuff. So, um, I get to the station and, um, I let him know like, Hey, I'm Mason Lewis. And as soon as I said my name, like everybody's ears perked up because they knew who I was and they knew I was coming, um, because everybody was brought up to speed. So I got through, I got through security. I get up to the, basically the suite or the floor where the MEP station is in this like several story building. And I let them know, Hey, I'm Mason Lewis. I'm here to whatever. And they're like, okay, perfect. The guy behind the desk walks out from behind the desk and personally escorts me to my branch liaison, the army guys. And he said, Hey, this is Mason. Like he's here. We need to like get his stuff going. He already had it on his desk. Like he was ready to just like rock and roll, pull like gave me my medical packet. I gave him my phone because that's just kind of how it was. And I took my medical packet over to get my evaluation. So I walk in there and it's me and three other guys. Um, and they make us do the whole duck walk and like strip down and it's weird. But anyway, um, as soon as that was done, he took us over to his desk. It was in the same room and we lined up because he was going to go through our packets, right? Knowing that I was potentially going to be there for a while, I go last. So I put myself last in line and there's like, they are breezing through these guys. It gets to my packet and I give him my packet and I brought my copy of the packet into that room with me as well. So I was ready to walk over to it at any point and just grab it and start fighting back basically. And he starts going through, he's asking me questions like, Hey, um, what, uh, you know, tell me about the medication, doxycycline, all this stuff. And I was the medication for Kenya. Okay. Too easy. Just simple, simple explanation. Yeah, I did this and that. Okay. No problem. Um, and he starts getting deeper into my medical pack and he gets to the surgery portions. And this is where I'm expecting all the questions. 
this is where I'm expecting like, hey, this is where this is where the resistance is going to start hitting. But he's flipping page after page, no questions. And he's begins chuckling to himself. I'm like, okay, strange. But it, you know, I'm 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 in a mindset like I'm I'm gonna fight back any questions you have. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna knock it out. He gets to the last page and he just stamps qualified doesn't ask me any questions about my cranial surgery, any of that. And as he's handing me my packet back, he says, Dr. Park, who was the surgeon who, who did my surgery like years, 25 years prior. He's like, I know that guy. He and I used to practice together in Joplin 28 years ago. What? (laughs) What? You're like personal best friends with this guy? Yes. Like they knew each other. He had potentially reviewed this paperwork 25 years ago. Yeah. So he tells me that and my eyes just explode. They're huge. Like no way. I ran back to the liaison, got my phone and all I texted my, my whole family was qualified and it was done. Like, and looking back on all of that, like I, I was put on a delayed entry program. I still had three months until I shipped out. So at that point I was like, well, I'm a contract. Let me just go get a temporary job and make a little income, whatever. Went and worked at Panera. But looking back on all of that, like that was one really big, long tactical pause where the Lord was like, I've got a situation developing. I need you to sit tight. Right. And I was just sitting tight, like wallowing, like I am a statistic. I'm living with my parents. I don't have a job. Like nothing is working. Like it's progressing, but super slowly. Like, why can't we just get there? Mm -hmm. And the Lord was like, because there's a situation developing. You know what I mean? It came down to a point where it was either I am going to be in the army because the Lord wants me to be in the army. Or he's going to say the army is not where I want you. You know what I mean? Mm. And so this, that is where he said, I want you in the army. Like that's exactly where I, where I plan for you to be. And he did it in rather dramatic fashion. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd say so. so for me, like in my experience, contentment is about understanding it's, it's that tactical pause. It's understanding like, Hey, the Lord has called me to a place for a season of waiting and patience and, growth while he make he lets a situation develop that he's got going on. We don't see it. I had no idea. I'd never met that guy before in my life. I don't even remember my previous surgeon. I just had no idea. Like I, I, I was completely clueless. And yet the Lord was like, hold up. I've got a plan for you. 25 years ago, he was like, you're going to need to join the army and I need somebody there to help you get there. Yeah. Too easy. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you all again for listening in this week. And thanks so much for joining us for another season of the Freshly Squeezed podcast. It's hard to believe that this is the 40th episode and that we've been at this for almost a year now. We're excited to be taking a break from the regularly scheduled podcast to work on some other Freshly Squeezed projects, as well as to prepare for season three. We'll be sure to keep you all up to date on what all is coming soon. If you'd like to support what we do here at Freshly Squeezed, 
feel free to leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you listen to. We hope you all have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. And as always, stay fresh.